electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Scott Wapner and Kayla Tausche. Jim Cramer and David Faber have the morning off. Final trading week of the year. We're coming off that S&P record close on Thursday, the 68th record close of 2021. Our road begins with airline stocks this morning flying lower. The surge in COVID cases leading to thousands of cancellations. Plus, it's another rough day for Chinese tech stocks with Didi now blocking employees from selling shares indefinitely. And Elon Musk's close encounter. China's criticizing his Starlink satellites. We've got the details. Carl? Guys, that Omicron variant uh, pushing daily COVID cases in the U.S. to its highest level in nearly a year. And as you probably know by now, disrupting businesses across the country, including the airlines, uh, canceling more than 2,000 flights since Christmas Eve. Names like Delta, United, American, all under pressure uh, this morning. And Scott kind of leading to a discussion of what is a reasonable quarantine time in this environment where we're beginning to understand the variant a little bit better. And speaking from personal experience, uh, believing that it is a little bit more mild and maybe people should be able to get back to work sooner rather than later. Back to work, back shopping. I mean, that's what they were doing over the holidays, Carl. But, you know, to your point, the quarantine period is open for debate. It's a, it's a hot topic discussion. You know, everybody from Dr. Fauci has been talking about the severity of uh, Omicron and how quickly it's spreading, what it all means. You mentioned the fact that, OK, we think it's uh, less severe and that's the reason why you led with the first thing you said this morning, and that's that the S&P uh, is trading at a record high, despite what we're looking at here with airline stocks, which are lower, cruise ships uh, suffering outbreaks down in uh, Florida and elsewhere. And that's an issue, too. Those stocks are lower. But for the most part, the market has had that uh, holiday ability to look past most of that. Yeah, the Santa Claus rally has been a thing almost every year around this time. But it does feel, guys, eerily reminiscent of last year, where you see the market notching these new records, almost focused on the following year's optimisms and decoupled from the headlines that we're reading each day. Yes, uh, we see that in cases like yours, Carl, thankfully, and Jim Cramer's, that uh, Omicron seems to be mild. We hear that anecdotally across the board. But for the unvaccinated uh, cohort, those young children and people who are immunocompromised, there's still this sense that we don't really know how it will take hold, especially because South African scientists have suggested that maybe one of the reasons why it was milder there was because so much of the population had already been infected. 70 percent had prior immunity. And so they're still waiting to see some of that data. Perhaps that's one reason why Dr. Fauci said yesterday on ABC's This Week that he thinks it might get worse before it gets better. Here's what he said. If you have many, many, many more people with a less level of severity, that might kind of neutralize the positive effect of having less severity when you have so many more people. And we're particularly worried 
about those who are in that unvaccinated class that, you know, tens and tens of millions of Americans who are eligible for vaccination who have not been vaccinated. Those are the most vulnerable ones when you have a virus that is extraordinarily effective in getting to people and infecting them the way Omicron is. Now, behind the scenes, senior administration officials, guys, have this sort of fingers crossed mentality where they're hopeful that Omicron will lead toward more herd immunity, possibly tamping down on inflation, Carl. Uh, to that end, you tweeted something from J.P. Morgan uh, referencing some of those sentiments and Ron Klain, the president's chief of staff, liked it. So I think there's a hope that that is the case, Carl, uh, even if it is not exactly scientifically known at this point. Yeah, uh, JPM note out this morning, Scott, I'm sure you saw it. Uh, we don't expect Omicron to impact the growth outlook in any significant way, but rather accelerate, as Kayla said, an end of the pandemic by crowding out other variants. And it is interesting to see uh, these studies start to come out trying to forecast when we might peak. Uh, University of Texas, with a study out last couple days, says peak Omicron may be January 18th to February 3rd. Funstrat. Scott, Tom Lee's firm, our model suggests it surges to 395K a day, which is obviously a high number, but peaking January 9th. And that's one reason why Tom believes that the market bottom, essentially, in his view, is already in. And we're close to his year-end target already, uh, speaking of Tom Lee. What, he has 4,800, so there we are, about 75 points away from Tom Lee's. I guess at this point you could call it base case because he thinks an early... 2022, you could get to pass 5,000 on the S&P as it continues and investors continue to look past um, the rapid spread of Omicron. It's, it's, you know, you guys know better than me. I mean, it's spreading like wildfire here. I live in, you know, the state of New Jersey. You've got record cases here, seemingly record cases everywhere. But at this point, we're focusing on the kind of studies and the data, Carl, that you just mentioned that, okay, so it maybe it peaks in two to two and a half to three weeks. The market is looking to that point. And people like Tom Lee are, are as well, thinking that you could get maybe two to 300 S&P points before things start to get a little bit tougher. Kayla, I do wonder, in some respects, as we talk about the S&P 500 hitting these new highs, if this is the last burst, if you will, before we get into 2022, and then you have to face some real serious questions. What else happens with the virus? Hopefully that's not an issue, but the Fed's gonna be an issue. You're going to have a, a more a more tight Fed, and that's going to be an issue to contend with. So I feel like maybe this is that last burst uh, we get to celebrate before the tough times start rolling. Yeah, you're hearing a lot of that, Scott, and it's not only the specter of the Fed next year and giving investors other alternatives besides stocks where they could potentially get returns, but you also wonder what sort of economic data we're going to get in the next several weeks after we've been seeing all of these restaurants closing because they have positive cases among their staff or recently in their restaurant. You have airlines canceling flights because entire crews are testing positive and they can't actually staff a lot of the travel that people are wanting to do, uh, or even when you hear in other industries like banking in more white collar industries where people are saying we can't bring people into the office. We're having to revise our return to office plans. People are calling out sick. They're in self-isolation for these long periods of time. What, if any, impact that's going to have on productivity and growth, Carl, as a lot of these companies are flying by the seat of their pants and trying to figure out day to day how their policies must change and what sort of staffs they're actually working with. 
Yep. Uh, tough year to be in HR, guys, uh, given uh, the flurry of changing again. regulations, <laughs> changing policies, uh, changing protocols. I saw Morgan Stanley had some data out last week looking at, I think, 61 very large companies. And uh, the lion's share of them are in what we call hybrid. Uh, there's no real uh, commitment to return to the office, so to speak, and you can clearly understand why. Finally, guys, um, interesting piece in the FT this morning about Moderna facing shareholder pressure now uh, over the cost of the vaccine, trying to get the company to cut prices. And, Scott, get production to poorer countries, which if you are a sort of if you're a bear on the Omicron uh, narrative, and that is that uh, emerging markets being less vaccinated creates more variants that eventually make their way to the developed world, uh, then you're going to want to see that production and maybe even that trademark uh, get to parts of the country in which uh, the vaccine wasn't necessarily invented. I mean, what Moderna's going to make, I think the number, Carl, is $93 billion in COVID vaccine sales next year alone. Um, we're talking about Omicron today. Who knows what we're going to be talking about Tomorrow, the intense pressure from seemingly a whole you know, cohort of, of people, whether it's lawmakers and then the shareholder groups and investors who are, are talking about the pricing of their vaccines and also spreading production uh, around the world. You know, the, the stock, where's the stock right now? It's uh, $242. It's not, it's not down a ton uh, on this news. And as long as Omicron and the COVID in general remain a story, Kayla, uh, you're going to be talking about shares of Moderna. Yeah, and, and interestingly, Scott, it is U.K. shareholders who are bringing this pushback to Moderna. And U.K. is one of the governments that has been opposing uh, a waiver of some of the intellectual property of these vaccines to get the manufacturing to some of these countries. So uh, perhaps a little note of irony there. And we're going to be discussing Moderna a little bit later on in the show. But for now, let's turn back to the broader markets with futures uh, indicating a slightly higher open to kick off the last week of the trading for the year. Joining us now is City Global Wealth Chief Investment Strategist Stephen Whiting and Fidelity Investments Macro Global Director uh, Urian Timmer. Thanks to both of you for joining us uh, during a thin holiday trading week. Stephen, I'll start with you. If you heard the conversation we were just having, uh, both Scott and Carl were providing some data and making the point that possibly the bottom is already in the market. What do you think? Well, the bottom was a long time ago. Um, if you think about the small amounts of setbacks that we've had, the very little uh, that we've seen in terms of restraint in financial markets. But let's remember, this was also the year past record high corporate profits in excess of 45% EPS growth. You were talking about going back to the office or not. You know, what could corporate America really not like about what they just produced in this period? So we think the year ahead is going to be one of less progress, but progress nonetheless. That we had extremely easy fiscal policy, putting a lot of money uh, in the economy that nobody really had to work for. Uh, that's debt. Uh, and that also added to profits. And that's all now slowing. Uh, and a normalization is going to mean some profit gains and some market gains. But it's going to be a different environment from this very easy period just behind us. So, Urian, how much do you see the market's current gains borrowing from next year? Um, <clears throat> I think the market is on pretty solid footing here. We've obviously had some corrections along the way. We've certainly had a lot of, you know, damage underneath the surface uh, in the meme stocks, you know, like the small cap growth stocks, which have basically been dead, dead, dead money all year. 
Uh, but the S&P is up about 25%, and it's not all about the mega caps. You know, the S&P 500 equal weighted index is also up about 25%, and about two-thirds of stocks are above their 50-day moving average. So I think this market looks pretty good. And even though we've had a massive run uh, on 48% earnings growth, when we look at uh, the numbers for next year, you know, we could still see 8 to 10% earnings growth, and at a 1.5% 10-year yield and let's say a 4% equity risk premium, um, that 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 points still to higher prices. You know, based on the discounted cash flow model, uh, the intrinsic value based on the numbers I just gave you is about 4,900. So um, I think we're in a solid mid-cycle phase of the market. We're no longer early cycle, but we're not quite to late cycle yet. Um, and I think that's a period where the market can kind of stay in place for a while. Stephen, I'm curious what you think of what Urian had to say. It's sort of the line of questioning that I wanted to ask you about. On one <laughs> hand, as I mentioned earlier, this feels like it could be the last burst before you have to face some more serious issues in the market. You know, more hostile Fed, if you want to use that term, right. higher interest rates. Although you're still going to have an incredibly strong economy next year. And all of these stories that we talk about at the very top of the program today, whether it's delayed return to the office or delay in getting back to some semblance of business travel or delaying spending in any way, shape or form. Once you get into next year and yes, we hope we are past this variant and there aren't any more serious ones, the economy is going to boom. Isn't that going to offset some of the negative effects? I would look at it this way, that during 2020, when the economy was shut down, artificially depressed, trying to prevent the spread of COVID, we had massive fiscal stimulus. Then we did it again in 2021 when the economy was already recovering. COVID has had through each wave less and less impact on the economy. Having Omicron extremely contagious, lapping the winter months, this doesn't feel very good in the very near term, but just as you said, markets can probably look past that. During the worst of Delta, uh, the U.S. was still growing in excess of 350,000 jobs. But the macro stimulus is really in the rearview mirror. Again, we have nothing that's going to come out of the White House and Congress that looks anything as robust as the spending support that we had that gave us what we think was a 5.5% U.S. GDP year would have been much more if we could have actually produced as much as was demanded. Now, the Federal Reserve is going to go from a period of financing all net new bond issuance, right, with made up money. Uh, and I, people can make a very bearish narrative around this. We don't think that's going to be the case. When you take a look at the last period of early cycle Fed tightening, all the way from 2014 to 2018, we had an 11% return in U.S. stocks in that period, uh, annualized. And that included 20% drop at the end of 2018 when they had gone too far. I don't think it's going to be quite so robust. When you heard some of the earlier narrative about very uh, strong high levels um, of U.S. growth uh, stock prices and uh, lots of other damage beneath the surface, around the world, a lot of assets don't look as rich. But we still have an environment where it's going to be hard to repeat the gains that we just had behind us. So I think that, again, combining a less aggressive Fed, a, a less aggressive fiscal push, and Believe it or not, I mean, as horrible and tragic it is, COVID, again, had very narrow effects on the economy that were very kind of financial markets looking behind us. Uh, we're going to have to have uh, a little more care to risk management over the coming year. 
Yeah. Hey, finally, Yuri, and I, it seems like a, a lot of notes going into the end of the year are talking about uh, market concentration um, and, and very narrow leadership, obviously, as we begin the new year. How much is riding on leadership broadening uh, in January right now? Um, <clears throat> I don't think too much, but clearly when you look at, for instance, the airline stocks um, and you measure them, <clears throat> their relative performance against, for instance, the TSA checkpoints, there's a very large gap there. You know, the, 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 the reopening stocks really should have done a lot better, um, and they haven't. And so maybe that's a big theme for 2022. But, you know, uh, it's easy to try to bet against the big growers because they've been leading the charge for the last eight years and the rest of the market is so is so uh, uh, forgotten, if you will. But those companies, you know, generate the free cash flow growth that investors uh, demand. And so I'm not willing to bet against them. But, uh, you know, we, we had the reopen trade, you know, the growth to value, and certainly um, large to small, and that completely reversed last year. So I do think the, the, the stage is set for another iteration of that, maybe once Omicron starts to crest. We will leave it there for now. Stephen Urian, if we don't see you again this week, have a wonderful new year. Thanks to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Still to come this morning, holiday sales are rising at the fastest pace in about 17 years, despite the supply chain challenges and inflation. We've got details on that. Take a look at the futures on this Monday morning, the last Monday of the year, as uh, we look to continue what was a record close on Thursday on the S&P. Don't go away. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shei a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Shoppers shrugging off higher prices and product shortages this season with holiday shopping rising at its fastest pace in 17 years. New data from MasterCard spending pulses showing an eight and a half percent rise from a year ago. Kayla, they were shopping however you had to shop, you know, because of higher prices, because of uh, shortages. If you wanted to make sure you got something, you started your holiday shopping early this year. You, you still went to the mall if you had to. You shopped online. You did whatever you had to do. And it showed up in the numbers. Yeah, there was something for everyone. I mean, I did a, a personal on-the-street little sampling, and it was bumper-to-bumper bumper throughout Washington, D.C., whether you were during curbside pickup. 
inside the stores or ordering online. It was just bustling. Uh, but interestingly, about a month ago, as there was a lot of hand-wringing about the supply chain and whether uh, packages would be on your doorstep for Christmas or packages would uh, inventory would be on the shelves for consumers, the administration was saying, hey, if you want to ask about your Christmas packages, call FedEx, UPS, call the Postal Service. And the on-time arrival was in the 90% range, 97% uh, for UPS. So credit where credit is due after a really difficult logistics season uh, for a lot of these companies who kept items on the shelves and kept those goods arriving so that the data, uh, Carl, looked the way that they do. And we're reporting about it now. Yeah, uh, that data from Ship Matrix you mentioned, UPS and the Postal Service, 99, as Kayla said, between November 14th and December 11th. Actually, FedEx was a little bit behind, but still at 97. Uh, it's a real comment, guys, on uh, the American household balance sheet, although, Scott, I would imagine as we move into the new year, uh, there's going to be a little more discussion about saving rate coming back to earth, um, credit card balances going up just a tiny bit. What happens to all that excess cash that we had built up as the result of some stimulus payments and wage increases? Uh, and how long, how far does that get Americans in a new year? I feel like it's a, it's a commentary on the, the balance sheet. Looks pretty good, but also the psyche and, and sentiment that people are just sick and tired of COVID, you know? Um, and they were going to go out and spend for the holidays. I mean, it's, a, it's just a fact, right? You, you know, you're just tired of dealing with the, the, the negativity that, that comes with all of this over the last couple of years. It's the holiday period. And as I said, you know, okay, so yes, you, you may have to pay a little more for things because of inflation and you're more concerned about supply chains. But, you know, come heck or high water, you're going to go out and spend on, on what you wanted to get, and hopefully you could, you could get your hands on it. And if it was online, and some of the online sales, I'm sure, were, were red hot too, or it was going to the store, however you had to go there, whether it was a, with a mask or without, or however you did your shopping, the numbers turned out to be, what did we say, the strongest in 17 years? I think that says balance sheet. That says psyche too. Yeah, and with gatherings back on the table this year, people were gathering in larger uh, family sizes. You buy more gifts, you buy more food to put on the table for them for uh, in, in many of those cases. Though, Carl, we're still waiting to see what portion of that balance sheet uh, was spent on rapid tests ahead of the gatherings this holiday season. No, no kidding. Uh, no kidding. And it's going to lead us to a discussion maybe about child tax credits as we move into January as well, Kayla. Yeah, still to come on Squawk on the Street. It's been a rough year for Chinese tech stocks with names like Didi, Baba and Baidu down at least 30 percent year to date. We'll take a closer look at that and also the futures on this thin holiday trading day last Monday of the year, uh, still showing a slight Santa Claus rally after record highs last week. More Squawk on the Street when we return. For the next 15 seconds, picture yourself in a small town. Historic buildings with galleries, restaurants, micro-distilleries. Forested ridgelines on the horizon. Wide alpine meadows. Evergreen forests threaded with trails. Friendly locals eager to guide you. And if you're not quite ready to leave this fantasy, chances are you're our kind. And you should check out visitparkcity.com right away. Park City, Utah, for the mountain kind. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. 
specialised across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're no doubt well aware of the pain involved this year among NASDAQ 100 uh, components. Laggards for the year to date, largely about China Tech and stay at home. Peloton, the number one NDX loser for 2021, down almost 75%. Pinduo Duo zooms in there, Baidu and Splunk down 32 and a quarter. Uh, we will take another break here, get the opening bell in just under five minutes. Don't go away. What a year it's been for China Tech. We mentioned uh, some of the biggest losers year to date in the NDX are China ADRs. But take a look at DD, Baba, Baidu uh, so far year to date. Seems like, um, Kayla, the year has really been summed up in a couple of baskets. One was the surprise regulatory headlines that we would wake up to every morning out of China regarding sectors like uh, gambling and e-commerce and for-profit education, but also the erosion of the relationship between the two countries, at least when it comes to capital markets. And this morning, the FT has a piece about Didi in particular, uh, that uh, regulators are, are th that the company's blocking employees from selling their shares indefinitely after that move to D-list out of New York. Yeah, and that piece cites people familiar with the matter. It comes as Chinese securities regulators have been investigating Didi. But what's most interesting, Carl, about the continued slide of Didi on the back of that piece is that normally you see the stock go down when insiders sell shares. Now they're going down because insiders won't be selling shares, which is sort of the flip side of what you'd expect. Yeah. Uh, remarkable story. Uh, well, and obviously China will continue to be a huge story in 2021 for a variety of reasons beyond uh, stock listing. There's the opening bell and the CNBC real-time exchange of the big board. It's Bank of America celebrating its ninth annual winter village in New York City and at the NASDAQ. It is the United States Postal Service with Operation Santa. And as we just mentioned a moment ago, Scott, congratulations for uh, making sure that the worst of the supply chain delivery system uh, did not come to pass this season. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, maybe the worst fears weren't realized when it when it came to that. We'll keep our eye certainly right off the open on the airline stocks like we began the show with today, uh, suffering through some of the issues there with cancellations. There are the major averages. S&P is extending its record high here, 47.44. That's good for about 18 points. Dow is up better than 100 points. But here's the airline shares, and they're down across the board. You know, as we're talking about uh, traveling and the flights being canceled, crews calling out sick because of uh, Omicron and some of the issues that we have to deal with uh, from that standpoint. You can show up the cruise names, too, as we're seeing headline after headline of, you know, cruise ships and seeing a, a bunch of uh, cases developing there. And you'll see those shares are peeling back a little bit, Carl, more so uh, than the airlines. It's the cruise business that you really have to keep an eye on this morning. Yeah, at least three ships with uh, with cases, although uh, despite the selling there, guys, um, I think we got an intraday high on the S&P. This would be the first intraday high uh, since November 22nd. Uh, you know, Scott, we've been talking about Santa Claus rallies for a couple of months now. And would there be a year end melt up and what kind of conditions would you need uh, for a, a surge into the end of the year? But First, uh, first new high in about a month. I, I will probably take that, despite all the caveats about trading this week. I, I think so, because for a while it felt like we may not get a Santa Claus rally at all. There was so much volatility 
right on the back of the Omicron news at the at the outset. We're also you know, sitting there worried about uh, what the Fed chair was saying on on the Hill. And then they had the actual meeting and it's definitely looking like a tighter Fed. So you combine Omicron fears plus Fed fears. It looked like Santa Claus may not show up. But in fact, the the opposite has happened. You still do, I think, have the most volatile December in a few years since 2018. I wonder what that portends for the, you know, the early part of, of 2022, Kayla, whether some of the volatility subsides or we're still going to be in for a few weeks, if not a few months of more expected volatility in the market. Well, Scott, I think uh, everything really at that point will depend on where Omicron is and also what companies say about their earnings, whether they have uh, been able to weather this recent surge of COVID. Certainly some of the early data that we've seen from MasterCard spending pulse, ship matrix, others that we've been citing throughout the morning appear to be positive. The market appears to be positive going into the end of the year. But have companies been able to manage through this volatility uh, going into the end of the year? And you think about the airlines too. Let's put up the airlines again because yes, they're sliding about one and a half percent again this morning on the back of those cancellations. But this is an industry that's been right-sizing its workforce for the last two years. A lot of employees took buyouts and you do wonder whether they are going to be able to go into a surge in travel next year uh, with the right-sized workforce to accommodate a surge in demand or whether they're going to see costs go up again. So a lot of that's going to come out in earnings season in the next couple of months. And that commentary is going to be just as important uh, as ever. While we're talking about specific stocks, we should also mention GoDaddy jumping about 4% in pre-market action. Let's see where it is uh, right after the open, because there was some news uh, out of the Wall Street Journal reporting that Starboard Value took a 6.5% stake uh, in that company, uh, seeking changes there. And of course, we'll probably uh, hear in regulatory filings exactly what the goal uh, of that is with that 800 million dollar stake uh, in GoDaddy pushing those shares up. Uh, Scott, I'm sure you guys are going to be talking about that one on the half today, too. Yeah, interesting uh, move from a pretty active activist uh, as Starboard, Jeff Smith and the, and the gang over there. Icon is still in the news with Southwest Gas and the tender that he's trying to do uh, over there, and they keep giving him the Heisman. I wonder what uh, activism is going to look like, uh, to your point, Kayla, in, in the new year as well, given where valuations are, what the Fed uh, may do, and, and, and how activist investors uh, see the landscape for taking uh, their positions. But that'll be a point to watch. Carl, as you pointed out, 47-48. Uh, S&P is good for 22, and the Dow's got a triple-digit gain off the open. Yeah, uh, thank you to Apple and to Cisco and Microsoft. Um, <laughs> Apple getting uh, sort of needled with some headlines out of some Dutch re regulators uh, arguing that the App Store needs to allow some dating apps to allow alternative payment systems in the App Store, which, of course, is not a new story for Apple, but continues to get uh, tweaked around the world by regulators. Um, but remarkable, a remarkable um, uh, just share of the burden uh, Scott, um, among these giants where I know you've had how many conversations on the half about the law of large numbers and, and how much can you count on growth where new businesses uh, are just a drop in the bucket relative to overall revenue. Uh, but Apple's been a story. It's not 182, uh, but it's back to 178. No, it's not that far away. I mean, I'm almost tired of asking the question to not, you know, people on the <laughs> halftime report, whether it's my investment committee or otherwise, is, are, are we too top heavy? Um, I mean, these stocks have become defensive stocks. They become defensive names, ports in the storm. 
Um, and yes, you, you say, okay, it, it, it looks too top heavy, but you know, as we've seen, it can remain that way uh, for a while. And the reason why, other than you know, little tremors here and there over the last you know, few months, and while you've had these rolling corrections, Carl, underneath the surface, as so many stocks have gotten right. absolutely obliterated, the reason why the overall yep. market hasn't had the worst kind of correction is because these stocks won't correct. Why? For, for all the reasons yep. that, that you said, um, many are still deemed to be cheap uh, from a valuation standpoint, or certainly cheaper than some of the more uh, high-flying names. And then you get the defensive nature as well, the tried and true growers, growth at a reasonable price that you hear about. And it's no wonder why these stocks are the ones sure. that people gravitate to when volatility is at its highest. Sure. But, Scott, the regulatory cloud looms for next year. Europe's Digital Markets and Digital Services Act will probably come into force in some form in the second half of the year. Uh, you had Senator Richard Blumenthal, Democrat uh, from Connecticut, uh, going on the record and essentially pressuring the White House to put its political heft uh, behind some sort of regulatory push for next year, noting that there is bipartisan support for cracking down on big tech as support remains elusive for the social and climate spending package in its current form, though uh, perhaps we could discuss a, a different form that might come to pass in the coming weeks. But you know, voting rights is elusive. Immigration is elusive. There are a lot of things the administration wants to do where support on either side of the aisle uh, is questionable for each of these priorities. Uh, but Blumenthal notes that big tech and regulation is an area where there is support and essentially challenging the administration to get behind it, even though there are privately, well, Carl, some concerns about, or Scott, whether that would hurt growth if you do that. I, I, as you're, as you're, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about these stories and we show a chart of Meta, Facebook, right? And I, I was waiting <laughs> for the chart to come up so I could see year to date exactly what the, the stock has been up and it's matched S&P. It's up 25%. I think it said year to date. It's the stock that has always been in the crosshairs of of lawmakers. Um, you know, they love throwing darts at it. And yet the stock, despite the fact that it does have some pullback in the chart we're looking at, it's had a darn good year. Why? Because its business model trumps all of the concerns about the regulatory issues, whether it's a duopoly with with uh, Alphabet in the uh, advertising market you got to throw a lot of stuff at this stock to knock it off of its mantle. And I think there's a belief in the market, Carl, that no matter what lawmakers do, they're not going to be able to do anything serious enough to disrupt the company's business model in a meaningful enough way to keep investors from buying the stock. So it's up 25 percent. Yeah, and yet we've had the talk through the year, whether it's the whistleblower or everything else. And it doesn't seem to matter in any great degree. Yeah, one of the leaders of the NDX this morning, as you say, up almost 3%. Remember when we 320, we wondered, is this the bottom? That was really the point at which the whistleblower was making the largest headlines on the Hill. But it does raise a great point, guys, about you know whether or not, uh, at this point, tech regulation in aggregate is sort of the boy who cried wolf, Kayla, because Congress can't seem to uh, uh, wrangle and, and circle the wagons around one player or at least one issue uh, for a sustained period of time. I also wanted to get your take uh, as to whether or not some of the bullish action in these last few days of the year is due to the belief that some form of um, Build Back Better gets to the president. Some argue it could happen by March, but whether or not there's a number and a structure uh, that, would, uh, that would bring an open door uh, to Senator Manchin, at least. 
Yeah, and perhaps uh, there are many who are saying that Senator Manchin maybe cried wolf. I think there are still discussions ongoing about exactly what the size and specter of that package should be. Certainly there are pieces in Axios in the Hill this morning about possibly a package that is smaller in size and fewer programs included, but those that uh, go on for a longer period of time. The administration's coming under pressure for a lot of these programs that are ending. The child tax credit, the uh, student loan uh, grace period, which there are now talks to continue extending. Uh, so they're under real pressure to keep a lot of these programs going, especially uh, with the Omicron wave uh, as the backdrop to all of these conversations. But then again, you have President Biden saying voting rights is uh, there's nothing more important than that. And so if you have limited political capital, where are you going to go with it? Are you going to go with your campaign platform? Are you going to go to regulating big tech, which, as Blumenthal says, has bipartisan support? You're going to go for something like voting rights, where you may have to change rules to get it done. We will see exactly what they decide to pursue. Certainly those conversations are happening uh, behind the scenes, but I think uh, I think the reshuffling of the deck is going to be happening as soon as we see some lawmakers coming back to Washington, Carl. Guys, in terms of the, uh, the laggards this morning, at least on the S&P, uh, interesting to see some of these names, Scott. I wonder if this, this dynamic will last uh, through the rest of the week. But take a Disney, uh, for example, uh, one of the biggest losers on the S&P today. Some of the um, names in telecom, our own parent Comcast, Charter's in there as well. Uh, obviously, with, with uh, years that have been challenged so far uh, from a stock standpoint, some travel names as well. But, you know, how much of these losers uh, uh, get jettisoned going into year end before maybe uh, some uh, renewed interest comes in January? Boy, I, with you talking about telecom, that, that, that sector had one of the worst uh, ends of a, a year that, that I can remember. Um, there's Disney, as you look in and talk about you know, media. Here We're showing Charter right now because you mentioned what we've witnessed in, in telecom. Some of the cable names have had a real tough go. But Disney, um, the stock had been doing really well and then started to go sideways. As you, you know, start to wonder, is, is Disney relying too heavy on its franchises, the great franchises that they are? Does it need to increase spending, Carl, uh, in a much more dramatic way to try and, and, and get subscribers to Disney Plus beyond uh, and, and spend on programming uh, beyond just relying on, on the franchises that have been such a, a, a good boon to that company? Those are the critical issues that we're going to be talking about moving forward. Yeah. As well as the slate for uh, for 2022, uh, we haven't yet mentioned Spider-Man, uh, going to be the only billion-dollar film of the year, but top-grossing film of 2021. And there's a lot more on the way uh, if Omicron really does flush through some kind of immunity and theaters have a green light. Uh, you might be looking at Disney in a, in a different way in a few weeks or months. Uh, we'll find out. Quick programming note as we go to break tonight. Don't miss our CNBC special, Your Money 2022, hosted by our own Wilfred Frost. It's coming up later today at 6 p.m. Eastern time. First, though, take a look at the bond report. Pretty light macro calendar this week. We'll get some regional Fed surveys, claims on Thursday, Chicago PMI on Thursday as well. But that 10-year just can't seem to get back above 1.5, now below 1.49. Don't go away. Travel names among the laggards this morning on this Monday as the S&P does notch its first all-time high in about a month. But the cancellations, the concerns about cases on some cruise lines have most of our, I would say, the top 
10 or 15 losers are all at least somehow related to the travel industry. Uh, Boeing's not far behind, MGM Southwest, in addition to the names you see right there. A lot more Squawk on the Street continues in a moment. Don't go away. Travel stocks looking to bounce back in a big way in the new year. Our Seema Modi has that story for us. Seema, good morning. Good morning, Kayla. That's right. And the industry is now tracking the latest flight cancellations and how that could have a knock-on effect on the broader travel landscape. For example, leading to fewer travelers checking into hotels. Now, the rise in COVID cases also challenging the cruise lines. Three ships over the past week returning to Florida with positive cases on board. Separately, a Holland America ship returning to San Diego after being denied entry into Puerto Vallarta after a small group of crew tested COVID positive. Cruise stocks posting big gains last week following comments from CEO of Carnival, Arnold Donald, who said uh, that Omicron has only led to a small spike in cancellations. Question is, will that hold if more ships disclose positive passengers? Is the research surrounding Omicron being less severe, discouraging fewer travelers than earlier COVID waves? A recent survey from Cruise Critics showing an increase in the number of respondents concerned about being quarantined on a ship. Carnival, Royal, Norwegian, Cruise Line, uh, all trading down by around 2 to 3% this morning. Going into 2022, analysts at Truist, uh, Patrick Scholz, preferring Norwegian Cruise Line to the rest, saying it has a greater exposure to the higher-end cruises. Speaking of high-end luxury travel, a number of new ultra-lux properties are coming to market early next year. We have Conrad's Resort in Tulum, Mexico, Hilton, Maldives set to debut in spring 2022, so COVID is not slowing down the pipeline of new hotels being constructed, which some would read as a bullish sign for the broader recovery in travel. Of the three hotels, Bernstein really favors Hyatt following its acquisition of Apple Leisure Group. Scott? All right, Seema, appreciate it. For more, let's bring in Raymond James analyst now, uh, Savi Sith. He's with us this morning. It's good to see you. The, the cancellations notwithstanding, uh, how does demand look and how is it being impacted by Omicron, if at all? The, the TSA numbers that I saw, uh, certainly pre-holiday period, look pretty good relative to even 2019. Exactly. You make a good point, Scott. I think the you know, pre-holiday, you saw TSA numbers that were 85, uh, 80, 85% of uh, 2019 levels. Again, you don't have a lot of international travel and, and business travel happening right now. And over the holidays, actually, it got close to 95%. So the demand side of things is very strong and, and people are willing to travel. I'm sure there were probably some trips that were canceled because of Omicron, but, but generally, I think the demand environment is really strong here. Um, from a cancellation standpoint, so I think... Yeah, forgive me. No, for, forgive me. I thought you, I thought you finished speaking. I, I wanted to ask you about the cancellations and, and what the bottom line implications are going to be uh, for the airlines, assuming that it continues to some degree for the next few weeks. Yeah, so this is uh, it, that's exactly right. If you look at the actual numbers, if you look at it across all the kind of the U major U.S. airlines, you know, cancellations are about five, six percent. Uh, I think taking up to about seven percent yesterday. Again, just looking at the U.S. airlines, and um, the risk here is, you know, if there's more winter weather, you do have a little bit more absenteeism um, because of Omicron and, and crews being having to, uh, you know, quarantine here for about ten days. Um, the risk is, you know, you start getting close to timing out of crews generally that you see towards month end. So we're, you know, keeping a close eye to, into the end of the year. I think the bigger implication for airlines is, 
as long as we have, you know, variants and, and requirements to, you know, quarantine for 10 days, regardless of, kind of the severity of things, you're going to have to have a higher level of reserves, a high level of crews that you carry. And that's not good for kind of airline costs. And it's not good for cruise earnings power because they, they make more money when they fly more. And if you're carrying more crews than you need to on a, on a non-peak day, then they're not going to be able to fly as much. Hey, Savi, I wonder um, how attuned you'll be to capacity forecasts once we start getting uh, the next earnings prints and how material capacity itself is to the stocks right now. It's, it's actually uh, a little perversely, if the capacity is lower, I think there'll be a better sentiment on the airlines because there is a concern, at least in the off-peaks, that there's a little too much capacity here. And if you look at the industries hiring about hiring and plan to train about 8,000 pilots next year, for example, just one labor group there. And in you know the last peak, they only hired and, and trained you know 5,500 uh, or, or so pilots. And so there's, it's already constrained. So I, I, I think if if airlines come to the decision that they need to carry more crew members uh, to to meet the holiday peaks, then. I think you're going to have constraint capacity, and, and that probably, uh, from a passenger standpoint, uh, translates to higher fare. Isavi, it's interesting because the airline industry received $50 billion in government aid and then some last year to keep people on its payroll and then also pursued buyouts for some longstanding crew members. And I'm wondering if you think that was a mistake to let many of those crew members walk out the door. You know, hindsight is 2020. If you look at what was happening last year, um, it looked like people weren't going to travel uh, meaningfully, that you know, demand levels uh, would be down. I think we've all been kind of surprised by how quickly demand has come back uh, this year. That said, I think beyond just that, I think the other thing that airlines probably also didn't take into account is, again, the, the higher level of absenteeism. Some of that uh, gets resolved as we go through this, um, but, but with, you know, just supply issues and, and a higher level of kind of absenteeism among crew members, I think you just have to ha carry more people than you normally would expect. So I think it's a, a, a combination of events that have happened here. One, just being surprised by how strong demand has come back, and two, just how many more crews you have to kind of hold on to to fly the same schedule. So I, I think airlines kind of did the best they could. I, I don't think there's anything sinister here in, in how they've handled it. It's just, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Mm -hmm. Savi, appreciate your time this morning. Have a good day. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Pretty good session setting up here. As we mentioned, S&P all-time high, first time in about a month. All S&P sectors are green except for energy and utilities. And you got the Dow once again above 36K. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. When it comes to family vacations, there are a million different trips you can take. You can get your own... trip to Texas. Or if you prefer a vacation from your family, you can always get your own leave the kids with grandma Yay! trip to Texas. So go to traveltexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours.